Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 56, and today we're going behind the story. I'm your co-host, Nigel. I'm Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And our guest for this interview episode is Rich Siegel, founder of Cleaversoft, an independent video game developer. Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, appreciate you joining us. And yeah, looking forward to finding out about your game and your your journey to making games. So uh, as always, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also send us feedback and questions to feedback at mymatter.com or in our Discord or just throw them at us on social media. We are at mymatter on Twitter, at mymattertees on Instagram or at Tazzy on both. Uh, before we get into peppering Rich with questions, I'll just give a quick update as to what's happening in the Mayamada universe. So uh, people following us on, uh, well, any sort of platform <laughs> will have seen that uh, we have launched Studio 77, which is our platform for more gamepad events and activities and content from the Mayamada universe. So we're building up this uh, membership um, to give uh, exclusive access to different bits that we do in between the main gamepad events. Uh, But those activities will also be freely viewable um, on things like Twitch. So this month we have a Um, We have more independent video game developer interviews uh, and also our first games night where uh, I will be playing Among Us for the first time. Uh, One of the very few people on this planet who I think are, but uh, playing it for the first time. But there you go. I'm I'm always late to the party, uh, as you know, if you've watched, uh, if you've heard or listened to us speak for any length of time. I'm always late. So (laughs) there you go. Um, And uh, speaking of fun, you'll enjoy it. Thank you. I'm, I've, I get that impression. Um, I also get the impression I will lose trust in uh, my fellow human being, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's great because the, the game doesn't actually involve any like gaming skills. It's all <laughs> like, can you talk the talk, basically. Mm, okay, I'm good with that as well. Or am I? I don't know. Well, I've got time to practice. I'm going to yeah, practice Practice your flying skills, yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty much. <laughs> um, so uh, as well as Gamepad, um, uh, so as well as Studio 77 uh, events, we have our next Gamepad online. So Gamepad is our um, sort of headline event. Uh, now, as every event, live streamed online because that's where the world is at the moment. But the next event is on Saturday, the 10th of April. We'll be coming back with our Friendly Fire competition uh, with more games, more interviews from uh, the games industry. So we are currently lining up uh, a couple interviews and a panel discussion. So we're also going to be sort of um, bringing in a game that attendees of the event can play uh, while the competition is happening. So yeah, we'll have links in the show notes and we're going to be talking about uh, the different games, the different interviews and that panel discussion uh, once we have everything in place. But you can get your tickets now. They're free, but you get reminders uh, of when the event is happening, which is very important because right now time is just uh, a myth. So I feel like everyone needs a reminder of when things are happening. And also we're going to be working on new artwork for spring that will go to ticket holders as well. So check that out. Um, so that's what's happening with My Matter. Let's go behind the story with today's guest. 
so today we're talking with Rich Siegel, uh, the founder of Cleversoft and lead developer on Earth Night, an illustrated auto runner 2D platformer, uh, which is available now on Steam, Apple Arcade, PS4, and Switch. So we like to start these interviews uh, right in the deep end. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Let's go. I'll jump in there. So we'll start from the beginning, uh, like a bit about how your journey began. So first off, like how did you get into the industry making your own game? I founded Cleversoft in 2008, uh, right after the App Store launched on the iPhone, on the iPhone, which I guess was or right before the App Store launched. It was like right when they had announced it, but it hadn't actually happened yet, and. Uh, just to experiment because me and a friend thought it was cool. And the first thing we made was a little app called iBubby, which was a Jewish grandmother. It had 50 animated lines and it was my mother-in-law's voice. We recorded her at like a local radio station. Oh, fun. And when you say launch of the app store, do you mean literally when, when Apple launched the app store? Yeah, so, oh, right. right. The iPhone came to... out in 2007, but there was no yeah, App yeah. Store. It was closed. And I think in 2008, they announced the App Store. And it was either late 2008 or early 2009 that it actually okay. existed. Wow. One of those OG apps. Yeah, iBobby was real early. We made a little game called UI Battle, which was using like the UI of the app uh, of like that was already on the iPhone. And you like fought it in little pieces kind of cool and that was actually yes yeah, so it was just a, a group of friends it was like like a band and and that was right when we had gotten out of college uh so it, it almost felt like a like a little high school band you know uh, like a creative guy and a musician and programmer you know a little squad getting together um but ui battle which was very early in 2009 or 8 chipocrit who was a friend at the time a guy named paul weinstein uh, who was messing around with a Game Boy to make music, made us like a little song for that. So that was like the first time Chipocrit made a song for a Cleversoft game. Okay, then Spencer, who was my like partner in crime for that, he got a job with DreamWorks and he left. And Cleversoft lay dormant for many years. I think until 2014. I was running another company, a restaurant delivery service for the suburbs of Philadelphia. We started that the same year in 2008, me and another friend from high school. And it was like early for that, early enough, you know, like Grubhub and DoorDash and stuff didn't exist yet. That even though we, you know, didn't become Grubhub, it was, it got serious. There were like hundreds of people working there and we were open in four states. And I don't know. Yeah, I kind of got bored with that and wanted to get back to making games. So in 2014, I made an app called Beard Wars. Also, I think with music by Chipocrit, I think he did all the sound effects and music for that. Um, it was just a, a menu-based game where you took a picture of your beard or you took a video or a time-lapse of it growing and you took it out to battle with somebody else's beard by opening up to a worldwide vote. And um, it was very popular among like beardies and beardos, but it wasn't that, that big or anything. And a friend of mine said, I know you're like into beards and you're, for whatever reason right now, but you should make the same game with dogs because it's a great game. And like a lot of people, that many people who would do it with dog with beards, but, but everybody loves dogs. Yeah. 
So I decided I was going to make Puppy Wars, which was like really the exact same game in that you like took a video or a picture of your dog and took it out to battle with somebody else by wagering bones and you'd open up to a worldwide vote. And that was really popular. (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine that. (laughs) For a long time of my like digital career, Puppy, I'm like sad to say that Puppy Wars was my like most popular app. Um, But anyway, so I, that was in like 20, must have been 20. 11 or 2012 because we started earth night in the beginning of 2012 so i guess i guess puppy wars and beard wars was like 2011 in 2012 when i when we were going to make puppy wars i reached out to an artist on the internet known as Mattahan, who i'd been following for years he he used to put out these icon packs on deviant art that were like the most beautiful icons you've ever seen mm-hmm. and he also made an iPhone theme called Boof, B-U-U-F. that was like the most popular um, iPhone theme on jailbroken iPhones. So like when the App Store launched slightly after, there was like Cydia, the jailbroken App Store. <laughs> like you couldn't like theme an iPhone. And so he, so he was just like making these icons. And when I reached out to him, I for, what, I for whatever reason thought he was going to be like double my age. I was like... <laughs> I'm 35 now. So when we started Earth Night like 10 years ago, I was like 25, right? In like 2011. I thought maybe he was in like 30 or 40 or something, and but he was younger than me. I had been following his art on the internet since he was like, <laughs> you know, 11 or 12 or something. Wow. I think Paul's like two or three years younger than me. So anyway, I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm Rich from Cleaversoft. We're just like a guy making apps with like a little squad. And like any chance you'd be interested in some contract work to like paint over Beard Wars, every asset, and turn it into Puppy Wars. And also do like icons for the rest of the apps, um, including Beard Wars. I think he did the original icon for that. And so that was how we started working together. And after, I guess after Puppy Wars, myself, Paul Davey, and Chippocrit sat down and the three of us were like, and I think with one of my, another friend of mine, and we were like, let's make a real video game. You know, everything I'd made up until then was uh, like a website, I made a bunch of websites and apps. And even these games I'm talking about, they were all like menu based, you know, not like a full, fully full on like video game. And yeah, from that conversation in February of 2012, part-time for many years for five years for a lot of us and then in 20 in december of 2016 we sold the delivery company to square to become part of caviar and then full-time from then until september of 2019 about seven and a half year journey was when we first shipped earth night on apple arcade and then switch and playstation uh followed shortly after Nice. It's a really um, interesting journey. And so you sort of like had experience from the, uh, the 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 restaurant delivery business. Is there anything you sort of learned from that and brought over into like uh, developing Earth Night and, and sort of the business side of things or even anything? <laughs> yeah. Um, mainline delivery was like, like, like business training wheels that turned into this like behemoth. And I put all of the money that I made from that business 
both like operationally profitably and then when we sold it into making earth night a reality i during most of that time was just like getting paid from the other business i wasn't getting paid for the game but working as much as i could and everybody else i paid a fair wage and anyone who was working full-time during any of that including myself at the end you know uh got decent living wages and everybody got you know like percentages of the game which is really cool yeah, so all of the things I learned about running a business and just doing like the businessy things, which unfortunately you have to do as an indie game studio as well, on top of like, you know, creating a piece of art, all that businessy stuff was great. And it, it did like rub off and business development, you know, like the getting people at different large companies to notice you and then developing that relationship is another big part of like an indie game success. And unquestionably, like being an entrepreneur helped with that. Mm. I also want to say <laughs> when we originally set out at that table, the three of us to make a game, we decided we would make something that we thought was simple um, a runner game, like an auto platformer, and, and, and take six months, maybe a year. And it ended up taking. To complete this thing, seven and a half years. <laughs> Massive uh, miscalculation mis- mis- there. Yeah. <laughs> really started yeah. with a, a, a moment here, of hubris. Seven years there. What is this? <laughs> a crazy moment of hubris. And we, we were just incredibly lucky along the way. And it, I, we always showed up. And I think we put out a, a beautiful piece of work at the end of the day. I, I, I do consider it um, like a nice work of art. Um, but we also... We really got lucky. Um, we we showed the game at a small event called Indicate East. We got like an hour time slot, and we thought it went just okay. And then a couple of days later, we got an email from Sony saying like they wanted it to be a PlayStation game. And prior to that, we had just planned on being an iPhone app, you know, like like we like the prior apps we had made, and that kind of put this whole new added pressure of like you need to be a console game and good enough to be a console game. And we took so long making it that Sony stopped caring about indie games entirely. And the guy who had originally like signed us to be an exclusive Sony game had left. And I was devastated about that. And we like ended up getting to go to E3 with IndieCade, where we got to talk to Nintendo, who was like, you should get out of your PlayStation contract because we can't give you any support if you launch on PlayStation first. And we checked in our contract that we had signed with Sony in March of 2014, expired after five years. And we were in June of 2019, just after it expired. So like, had we been locked into that contract, had we shipped earlier, which I was trying to do desperately, and I was trying as hard as I could the entire time to finish and complete the game. Um, we, we would have like launched and, and it would have gone horribly. <laughs> But because we, we took long enough to get past that expiration, we were able to strike a deal with Nintendo and with Apple. And that kind of like totally changed the trajectory of, of what happened to the game and the game's release. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had like a stars aligning moment there. Absolutely. Um, so off of that, uh, what would you say to like a young or an aspiring indie dev if they wanted to sort of, of sign a similar deal with Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, or whoever? Yeah, uh, it's a question I get a lot. 
And I, I guess I go back to my, like, to early talking about how it felt like a band. It's very much, if you want to be in indie, if you want to be in the indie space, right? And, and there's lots of people who kind of go from AAA and then back to indie or vice versa. But if you're just like a kid, and this was me <laughs> being like, I want to make a video game, but I would not want to work at some like crazy large company and be a cog in a, in a giant machinery. I want to be on some like small team where everyone's voice is really apparent. And then you need to practice your instrument every day, whatever that is. And, you know, and in, in an indie band, it's like there's programmers, animators, illustrators, game designers, producers, and environment designers. You know, there's a couple other potential roles there. And whatever instrument you want to play, you need to practice, practice, practice. Because in, in that environment, whatever like degree you have or whatever work you've done in the past is all irrelevant. It's all just like, what are your skills right now? And you need to network and find other like-minded individuals who want to start a band uh, who are also practicing their instruments and want to mess around and, and go to places. Obviously, it's impossible in COVID, but hopefully this thing ends sometime where you can game jam and meet people and other like-minded individuals who want to, who want to make small games with small teams. And then after you're, you've started to find and connect into these, these webs of people, you need to be good enough at your instrument that when the time comes for your little band to go on tour, you're good enough to go do it. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get good enough at your instrument to be worthy of playing with a super team. I love that analogy of it being a band because I think there's so many like things that we see like in movies and TV that's like people like a small group of people just getting together and starting a band so it kind of gives that accessibility to to game development you know everyone just start a start a band but it's not a band it's uh indie dev <laughs> um so talking of uh like wanting a small team and uh when you started and and that's sort of like the size of things how who like who's currently in the uh cleversoft development team like how many are you and what's your particular role for years we were a core four with a bunch of part-time contributors and we got as large there there came a time where <laughs> what we were trying to do was even though we had finished the game content complete we had to like ship it on Apple Arcade, which is a behemoth. It's like 55 devices, Macs, iPhones, iPads, Apple TV. They all have to co-sync and touch controls and controller support. And, and also PlayStation and Switch all within a timely manner. We grew at for a short period of time to as much as 25 people. Um, but now we are back to four. And it feels amazing because... <laughs> Even though I had experience in a situation of um, managing hundreds of people, uh, you know, 25 was was even too large for me. And the core four of us right now are myself. I guess my role is director and game designer, and Adam Nash, uh, who's lead programmer. He uh, was also the lead programmer on Earth Night for the back half of its development and Paul Davey, who was the illustrator who painted everything in earth night. Um, everything you see on the screen, every frame of every character, every 3d texture he illustrated. And 
uh, a new animator we're working with. His name is Sunder. Uh, he's from Particle Beam Studios, and he is you know, animating everything for the new game. I guess Chipocrit is still going to be um, involved, but like we haven't like activated him yet. There's no music in the new game yet. We're still we're still too early. Cool. Um, and we haven't really talked much about Earth Knight, so let's um, let's dive into that. So, what is it about, and where did the inspiration come from? Earth Knight is about the end of humanity. Dragons have taken over the world, and the final remaining humans are in space as refugees. And one day our two heroes, Stanley and Sydney, have had enough, and they've decided they're going to skydive down to the planet and take out as many dragons as they can along the way. And there's all sorts of like fun little things to learn about the world along the way. Um, but we're doing a lot of showing and not telling in Earth Night, which I think is pretty neat. The original inspiration was to make something digestible for uh, a first-time team to make, which is funny because we ended up making something much larger larger than I think a first-time team making like a true console-quality video game should make. But we were inspired to keep it simple, and you know we're inspired by the, the side-scrollers we all grew up with, Sonic and Mario. I'm probably more of like a Mario fan than Sonic, but Earth Knight is definitely more Sonic-inspired than Mario. <laughs> And as for like the world and the aesthetic and the original inspiration for the game, like when we sat down at that table, was to bring Mattahan, um, Paul Davies, uh, like visual aesthetic and worlds to life. Um, he had painted um, a bunch of like paintings prior in his career. He'd never done anything with animation. And I, I am so inspired by his aesthetic and skill um of just like weird creatures bathed in light i i think at the end of the day the original inspiration for earth night was to bring paul davies art to life and sort of like the so you mentioned stanley and sydney and so how did both those characters sort of like come to life was it from that original was it from art that you've already seen or was there like a something that sort of triggered those two characters stanley i think so was a little inspired by Beard Wars to have like a bald guy with a big beard. Um, and Sydney is inspired by Paul's little sister. Sydney is a Jamaican schoolgirl, and she's wearing actually like the same like outfit, I think, that Paul's little sister wore at school. Oh, cute. I love that. It's yeah. so wholesome. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's like a really wholesome beginning just because there's so much, so much attention was drawn to our game because of it. And I almost feel like ashamed a little bit, but I certainly wouldn't lie about it. The So just like from that original meeting, right, there were two characters. We worked on Stanley for years, I think, before we like officially did Sydney's frames and like got her in the game. You know, I'm just like a guy. And so I never questioned like some large company would like having our game feature um, a little black girl as the main protagonist. And my God, did I go on like a crazy journey of really truly discovering how much representation matters or watching just like so many grown women cry and be moved by you know a high quality young female black protagonist because that just doesn't exist in video games which is insane i want to comment on the hair as well this is like my big big issue with a lot of games <laughs> uh like they might feature a black female character but then the hair is like 
there's always just like the same cop-out hairstyle used but i think it's the artwork is like really captured the hair really well so just a little nod to that <laughs> yeah i think paul originally had her with like like he wanted like dreads flopping around and it was just like too crazy to animate but yeah she has an authenticity to her um it's kind of like a style all his own it's just like very high quality and like you know there's just like a difference between seeing a black protagonist in like a pixelated situation than like seeing her really done in high resolution where you can really like see her features and feel like i don't know feel that representation on a different level which is really cool and is is sydney now big time now that she's in a game you have to like speak through her agent or things like that like how does how does she feel it's funny they were <laughs> they were they've been famous to me for a decade and i don't even know if they're famous now you know uh we're I, we've we found kind of like wilder success than i ever thought possible but it's still like a smaller indie hit i guess than like some of these crazy ones i haven't i saw that they're selling a sydney cosplay outfit but i've like never seen any <laughs> cool one day maybe but i think uh i think sydney and stanley would be proud of how it's all going i always saw it as like my responsibility to get them out there and they are now which is cool that's cool um and did uh like a lot of elements of the game sort of take inspiration from you and the team's like real life sort of experiences or well things from your real lives I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like a fantastical, weird place. Uh, part of Paul's like thing are, are these like very normal people in very weird aesthetics and very weird, you know, fantasy places. So yes, Sydney was certainly an inspiration from Paul's family. The I've been like a stock market nut forever, and uh, the scrap market is kind of like the I don't know personal representation of me in the game. And uh, just from all of us, the whole like love of retro game music is like our whole soundtrack is done with a Game Boy and also with a full band. Um, so all of the tracks, they have like Game Boy versions when you pick up Pixel Juice. And I think they randomly play sometimes, but almost all the songs in the game are a Game Boy and a live guitar and a live drummer and a live bass or piano. And I think that kind of speaks to the whole team's like, you know, love of retro what are now considered retro video games but they were just the games we were playing when we were kids no i totally love that and um there's an assist mode in the game to help more players finish it why did you make this design choice oh man i wish we had done even more i guess i was really inspired by celeste to make even a hard game more accessible in more ways earth that's really hard it's a really epic challenge and it's a roguelike in its design. So, you know, you're, you're meant to die a thousand times and beat it once and feel like really victorious. But, um, you know, it's also a game with beautiful art and beautiful music that can be enjoyed by a more casual player. And so like assist mode is a great way for somebody to enjoy that. And the updates we're putting out this summer, um, which include local co-op is also going to have kind of like an AI second player, like a Sonic and Tails situation with Stanley and Sydney running simultaneously. And that's also going to help. So I, I think it's important even in a game with really hard challenge to have accessibility for a wider player base to enjoy it. And I don't know, we didn't launch with assist mode and I wish we did. And I, you know, I would be more open to be putting even more accessibility features in. And I think in our next game, we'll think about it even on a deeper level. I think it's really good that you you have reached that point 
sort of left yourself open to to add it in later on, even if you didn't initially think of it. So yeah, I think I think it's really important to have. So sort of touching more on the games industry and maybe future plans. How does the post-game development compare to the pre-game development? Okay, really early on in a video game, this is an important lesson for new people making games too, is a blast. It's really fun. Nothing's concrete. You know, the exploration of design ideas is wide open and you're not bogged down by legacy systems. The Once you are the path to final release and shipping a perfect polished product, which you know, it's happening less and less in the industry, but I will always <laughs> adhere to, I will not ship an unfinished game that has like a million bugs. It is excruciating. The process even going from like, we were content complete, like all the levels were there and all the art was done to just like released on all these platforms is just so much work. You know, and I know there's all this talk of like crunch being a bad thing in the industry. And, and I think especially on the industrial scale, I agree with that. Like Nash and I were talking about it the other day. You know, there's just like no way we would have ever shipped Earth Knight if we didn't crunch a little bit, because uh, it's just so much work. Um, and then, and then post-release, uh, you know, right after it's re- it was really intense, um, just because of like the way we released. We did have a lot of players, and and we were expected to to kind of do some extra stuff with our Apple deal. We had to like we were late on getting it translated into 16 languages, which was part of Apple's requirements for Apple Arcade. And just implementing that, getting the translations was its own thing, and that was kind of fun. But then just implementing all 16 languages in the game across the entire game in a game that had, we had never considered that the entire time, you know, was really intense. But now it's feeling better. If it, it, after you first release, anything you're doing after has less pressure on it. And so it's, it's definitely like a, a gradual... It gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And then it's, oh my God, it's so crazy. And then it's like, okay. Then you start, you know, kind of coming down off that bell curve of madness. Mm-hmm. Um, so touching a bit more on crunch, sort of like how do you think the problem is different between like AAA games and indie on an indie level? And how do you think it can sort of like be tackled as an issue? I really go back and forth on this because I... I both like as a humanitarian think that like subjecting people to it, like forcing people to crunch or creating an environment where you're forcing people to crunch. And for like really long periods of time, like, I don't know, reportedly the crunch for cyberpunk has been like a year and a half or like at naughty dog, it can be, you know, six months or nine months to a year. I think that's really horrible. And I think that the fact that that's become normal in the game industry and like expected of everyone who works in the game industry and the AAA side is ridiculous. And I hope that that can change. I do feel like things are a little different with a small indie team, you know, similar to like comparing like a small rock band to, you know, like a giant company, that small rock band. If you have a huge gig, everyone's jazzed up. You're all practicing, right? Like if you're a small rock band, and you're about to have the biggest concert of your life everyone's practicing and jazzed up and uh, it's exciting right so like before our first e3 uh where sony showed earthnet e3 in 2014 the four of us were like you know for the three or four weeks before that we were working like mad we were working crunch hours we were all working insane hours 
I wasn't requiring it of anybody, you know, and that, that, that feels different than a large company having a culture where, you know, if you don't, if you go home early to your kids, like you're punished, you know? And so I feel like we've had times as an indie team where we're all working, you know, less hours, but we've also had times where we're all working a lot of hours, but I really, and I'm the guy who would be forcing it or not. I really do not feel like I'm forcing it on any of these people. I feel like we're all banding together to, because we want to achieve something great. So I don't know. And, and we, we've never had like, we've never had like a year of crunch at our company. You know, we're talking like weeks. Hmm. I, I guess is it, is that difference between like what's expected and the, the length of time? Cause it's always an interesting issue for me because so before I was making comics and stuff, I worked as a software engineer and for a number of years, not in, not in games, but, but I understand like the development process and the need, like, I guess in any sort of, uh, there's potential for that in any industry, but the idea of when you get, the closer you get to the end of a project, it just increased effort and increased time. Um, so it's always been interesting to me to hear about crunch where sometimes on, on social media, so that's probably my first mistake, but uh, sometimes that argument gets reduced to like, any extra time spent is bad and you're a terrible person for for spending any extra hours on on your project on your game but from what i'm getting uh, in general and what you're saying it's like it's a difference between that that extra effort to get it over the line versus this is now standard practice and you're expected to whether explicitly or implicitly expected to put these crazy hours for an extended period of time is that is that like the difference I think so. I, I guess I, I also think there's, I don't know why. I mean, just even saying it out loud, it's like, right, should there be a different, I mean, there, there, there is a difference though between a rock band who's like, we have our biggest show in a week. For the next week, we're going to practice all the time because we're hyped about that show and a corporation with thousands of workers. And it's like, if there was a band where the band leader expected everyone to work crunch all the time for years and like all you should be doing is practicing for the band and working on the band and you can't see your family, you can't see your friends, like that band would break up, right? It wouldn't mm. be sustainable. So, you know, I I am always concerned with like the health and what and mental well-being of my squad because we're so small. It's like if one per if one person is sick, right? Like, I don't know, it's more chill now being in like the early development stages because everything's not so independent on each other. But when we were like really in like crazy flow state heading towards like releasing on multiple platforms, if one of the four of us gets sick and can't work, I mean, that stops the whole thing, right? Or one, if one of us is like burnt out or something like that. So, you know, I do think it's up to the band leader to have, you know, to try to make it healthy for everybody. And that's the way to keep it, you know, sustainable in the long term we <laughs> project fatigue is very real and we had an incredibly long project and keeping everybody motivated and you know on the ball for that long of a period of time to finally coalesce into a, a finalized ship, shippable product was incredibly hard and i i don't think these very large companies that are that may are making crunch part of their culture will survive. I think that like they'll burn a lot of people out and then eventually people will stop coming in to be burnt out. 
Um, yeah, it's good to get your your point of view on on it um, from your much smaller team, um, and like to know that it's like two weeks of crunch. It's kind of like overtime at that point, rather than deep crunch that you hear about in some of these uh, AAA developments that you know, like you said, last like like in the years. <laughs> We're talking like a year plus. Talking a bit more about the industry, um, what change in the industry? have you noticed it came during the development that you wish you had at the start of developing this game? Well, Unity became dominant was a big trend over my game development journey from 2012 to, you know, we're in 2021 now. And I completely, that was another dumb luck thing. So had I not been building Earth Knight in Unity when Sony came and said, like, can you be running on a PlayStation 4 in a few months? I wouldn't have been able to do that. And I wouldn't have been able to so easily get to Nintendo Switch. And when Apple said, can you be ready for Apple Arcade in a few months, I wouldn't have been able to make that switch back so successfully. So it's it was lucky for me that I chose that platform in the early days because I didn't know and it wasn't so dominant at the time. But now we pretty much have a duopoly of game development engines. And I know there are some game devs out there, you know, working without an engine. but I think it's something like 95% of games are made in those two engines or more at this point. So that's been a crazy thing to watch happen. And the tools have just gotten so much better. We started in Unity 2013 and there weren't nested prefab. There just weren't all these capabilities that they currently have. And so, yeah, that's a crazy trend to have seen happen. And to know now that Unity's public now. They went public. They're worth like tens of billions of dollars. We're a small team of four, right? But there's 9,000 plus people working behind us on an engine to make sure that whatever we build, however long it takes us, they will all be working on going from that, you know, that thing that I built in this environment to that being available on every single platform that is large and big in the future. And I can know with confidence as a game developer that whatever I build It'll be, it'll be ready, and there'll be a whole company behind me working on the possibility of it, working on whatever platform exists in the future. And that is unbelievable. Two questions. Um, can you buy me a lottery ticket? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh, the stars just seem to just completely keep a line in for you. Um, so I just think I need some of that luck, please. <laughs> I have Japanese kanji for luck and prosperity on my right arm. I've I've lived uh, a lucky life. Mm, maybe that's the uh, that's trick. trick. Who's your <laughs> tattooist? Uh, <laughs> need to make sure I get like the ex- like uh, exact duplicate. Um, <laughs> we'll come out to Philadelphia for that. Be yeah. Totally and uh, yeah, so, and then the next question will be, um, you know, you're talking about looking forward to just being able to know that you, whatever you work on in the future, uh, will, will sort of like go on to the next, next, um, next latest thing. Uh, so what in the next generation of consoles uh, are you most excited about? Hmm. Um, what am I most excited about? Like I got a PlayStation 5 and I love it. And I think that Nintendo's gonna unveil like a a Super Switch soon, like a Super Nintendo Switch. I'm definitely pretty excited about that. <laughs> I think um, cloud computing is gonna be very cool. A lot of people think that like 
only AAA games and like big companies want to have access to insane compute power and graphic capabilities, but small indie teams like want that too. You know, I want to mm-hmm. have 10,000 blades of grass individually animated using <laughs> an algorithm for, for our next game. And I'm going to do that because uh, I, our next game is going to take, oh God, five to seven years to, to make, I think. I have less hubris. Although maybe even the fact that I think it's going to take five to seven years is hubris and it'll actually be way harder than that. And by the time that that happens, uh, compute power is going to be so powerful. Graphics capabilities are going to be so powerful. That'll be PlayStation 7 or 8. And maybe at that point, cloud computing, you know, kind of what Stadia has been going for will be dominant, but just across all the other companies. Mm. I think things are going to get weird. You know, I think we're all going to have AR glasses and VR is going to get bigger. But I personally believe and hope that there will still be a large market five, ten years down the line for games on screens with controllers, regardless of how people are playing that and doing it. I definitely think that will. Yeah, right. People are still playing video games with controllers on screens. But like, yeah, could I mean, there'll be like a console where it's just the controller. And that wirelessly connects to like a network that's doing all the compute power. When you do all the the computational and graphics capability in the cloud on a giant device, you enable crazy capabilities. You know, you could have millions of people playing online with no latency, right? Because everything's being being back is just like the image of what you're doing. And you can play the most powerful game in the world on your phone. So I I think that innovation will continue to happen. And it's going to be very cool. Uh, but like me personally, I'm still interested in the retro experience. We're making a top-down action-adventure RPG for our next game. If Earth Knight was a love letter to Sonic and Mario, this is a love letter to Zelda. But I, you know, I want to push... Uh, in Earth Knight, I feel like we pushed you know, a, a nice... We, we tried to push the limit on the visual aesthetics and the quality of animation and the music and the quality of the soundtrack and the sound effects. And... You know, Earth Knight had more 2D textures. There's probably more high-quality 2D textures in Earth Knight than, than almost every video game ever made. There might be a couple of games that had more. Uh, and we're going to push that even further in this next game. And, I, you know, I hope I can have, you know, thousands of enemies all moving independently with crazy AI interacting with each other. You know, I, as stuff gets more powerful, the possibilities are endless, even for small retro games, which is cool. Oh, awesome. Um, so I'll ask one more question before asking you for a tip. What are you best at and what do you still need to improve on? What am I best at and what do I still need to improve on? The self-reflection question is always the hardest. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm, I really like asking the uh, the hard questions. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, I think I excel at at looking forward. like future vision and at execution and from like a, an execution from a leadership position. And I think what I still want to work on and continue to master is like how high quality of a game designer I am. I think that I could still level up to like a, a whole new plane and I intend to for this next game. Nice. Each episode, we ask a, or each one of these episodes, we ask you, our guests, to uh, give a bit of 
a pro tip for our audience, uh, for anyone that, that is interested in making their own video game. So what would be your game development tip? Um, start small and ship something. Uh, it's advice that I didn't follow, even though I heard it time and time again. You know, if you want to be an indie developer, the first thing you got to do is find people to fill in, you know, your voids and talent and to group up with and then just make something and and finish it and put it out there. And every time you do that, you will just be leveling up in your heart more and more towards, you know, that final goal of, you know, being an indie developer on a on a team of a hit game. I guess my other pro tip which is more of like the general business tip, but but also for anyone who wants to lead an indie team is a really important thing to hear. The first time you think about firing somebody, just do it. Because after that, after you think about it, if you're even thinking about it, there's something wrong, right? Like, because if somebody who's working for you is doing great, like you would never think about firing them. They're doing great. They're awesome. But if you even think about it, then all of a sudden you are always going to be thinking about it. And anytime like something goes wrong or worse, like you're going to continue to think about it. And if you're thinking about it at all, it's probably a good idea. Uh, Team dynamics are incredibly important and one person can poison the well. And it's so important. Uh, Just like when you have a band, right? It's like if you have a band member that causes problems, like that could break up the whole band. And you have to protect that that idea of the band so much, and 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 more danger will come from within than anybody from the outside. That's the pro tip. Pro tip I have. Interesting tip there. Uh, also, great advice. Um, but yeah, uh, to any of our listeners, um, you can give us feedback on the end of it interview and let us know what you think at feedback at mymatter.com. Um, so we're now going to head over to Nigel for some bonus round questions. This is the part where we throw in a few follow-up questions or just random things that I'm thinking that didn't quite fit into uh, the main discussion. So uh, one of the things that you touched on, which like really early when you were talking about your uh, startup mainline deliveries, that you said you got bored working on it and i also find that's an interesting thing because from the outside like the idea of having startup like selling it that that sounds like success but you were bored at it so what what was that what yeah what was that like what were you not fulfilled by and uh, and what did you find in games that you didn't find somewhere else i really just like making stuff Steve Jobs was like always a big inspiration for me. You know, he always said like the coolest thing you could do is just like make something and put it out into the world. And so like the process of like making mainline deliveries website and like making mainline deliveries technical backend systems and like making all of like the cool stuff that like would run it was a lot of fun. And I loved that. And that was neat. But then it became it grew up, you know, it grew up from a tiny startup with a couple of people to like a big company. And then all of the headache was uh, just like dealing with people, um, people's issues, people's problems. You know, I it's a lot easier to think of um, a small company as a family, but even that big company was like a big family. So when like something happened to one of our drivers, one of our employees, like 
you know, it was, it weighed on me, but, but so all of a sudden it just became about like operations and like growing bigger, not about making something new. Okay. So you're like moving further, further away from the making. Yeah. Right. It was just about like running a machine instead of like artistically expressing myself and like making something cool. And like early in my career, I could, I never thought that I could, would ever be able to make something like Earthlight. Like I just, it, it was way beyond my grasp. And I originally thought, you know, just back to the whole, like I thought it was going to take six months thing. Like I thought that making a full on video game would be about five times more complicated than making like an, a menu based game. And I was totally wrong. It's more like a hundred <laughs> to a thousand times more complicated. You know, like having infinite states, right? Like a menu based game, like maybe even my most complicated one had less than a thousand states, right? Like screens you could see, you know, s situations that like the app could be in. And Earthnight is just unlimited infinity. There's 18 quadrillion seeds in Earthnight. I've been working on Earthnight for whatever, eight years, and I still see stuff that like I'd never seen before. It's just like mind-blowingly more complicated. Um, but so yeah, I just needed to, I needed to make stuff, you know? I needed to... That, yeah, that does make you wonder, like you mentioned Steve Jobs and because he he went from the sort of making this in our garage to the sort of one of the biggest <laughs> companies in the world and and seemed to be OK in both, which is uh, like an interesting dynamic I never thought of until you like explain that uh, difference in kind of mindset and what you want from things. But like he was never just he was never satisfied and it's why they kicked him out of the company with just going to the operational side of like, OK, we designed this computer. It's awesome. Now all we're doing like crank it out is cranking it out. Right. Mm. Which is what Apple wanted to do. and What like John yeah. Scully wanted to do. He was always like, OK, I made this thing. I'm on to the next thing that I'm going to make yeah, with yeah, a small team make it better. And he was always like with these small, like secret teams in Apple making <laughs> new stuff. Yeah. So he's, you know, and he, uh, you know, he kind of like made a system so that that could happen, which is cool. Yeah. And uh, before we started recording for this interview, you, you like we were talking about sort of young people and that you, uh, you speak with young people around video game development. Um, I don't know about you, but when I, uh, work with uh, or talk to speak to young people in different areas like creativity or looking at sort of um, business video games sometimes get weird questions like well what's the weirdest question or funniest response you've had from like a kid that's asked you anything about your career or your game hmm funniest thing a kid has said I feel like I'm like mostly talking to like college students so they're not like as young as oh, like okay. kids sometimes I talk to kids at shows or maybe you've not met the right, the, the weird, the weird kid. Yeah. No, I mean, I, we, we, I mean, like we do these like shows, you know, where we're like at PAX and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. there's plenty of, um, weird kids around. <laughs> it's just like lots of like individual questions about like decisions we've made. I hear a lot of like weird video game ideas, I guess. Like, you should make a video game about this. I've been thinking about this forever. <laughs> Yeah, it's always it's always fun. Um, I'm uh, last thing. Uh, you got a PS5. I also have a PS5. What are you playing on your PS5? So I finished the Demon Souls remake. I'm like a huge like Souls lover, and I'm in love with Blue Point Games, who made the remake of Shadow of the Colossus. 
Spelunky too. Spelunky, the original, was a huge inspiration for Earth Knight, and I think one of the finest design video games of all time. Mm. If you haven't played any Spelunky, I, have I really encourage you to check out Spelunky too. It's a really challenging game, but really, really good. I just played Olija, just like a new indie game that just came out. Um, it's O L I J A. I think it's by a Japanese developer. It's a short game. It's about like a little guy with a harpoon and a sword. It's really cool. And I just went back to Below by Cappy Games, which I don't know. It didn't get like panned by critics, but it, it was this like indie darling that everyone was really hyped about. And when it came out, it kind of got middling reviews. And I don't think it like, you know, got as big as I kind of was expecting it to. And I think it's one of the best video games ever. I am like wow. in love with it. Cool. All right. I'm, I was basically looking for tips because it's always good to ask people what they're playing. Oh, well, also <laughs> play, so play not... Earth Knight on your PS5. Earth Knight on your PS5. <laughs> that, it goes without saying. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. It's the best system to play it on. It runs like butter because the PlayStation 5 is so great. The controller, you know, works great for it. And, mm. um, and the load times are shorter than any other system. They're oh, almost yeah. instant. I, yeah, I love those instant load times. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, I was working on this game for eight years, and like every other system, like we have pretty long loads because we have so many 2D textures. We have a lot of high-quality art, and you have to load it all into every scene. We're really intelligent with like how things are loaded, and we use asynchronous loading in between worlds, so you, like, you never have a long load after you start taking your run, which I think is really cool. Right. But uh, yeah, just like it, Earthlight runs like a dream on PS5. So Nice. I have a, another off-topic question. What other hobbies you do outside of gaming? Um, I play guitar, uh, and I was always like in bands in like high school and college. And Adam Nash, who is the lead programmer on Earth Night, he plays piano, and he was always in bands. Um, and Chibacrid, who is the the Game Boy musician, but he also plays guitar and and stuff on all this on all the games, um, is also like in bands and he tours. Uh, so we're we're all musicians. I thought those rock band analogies came from somewhere. I'm the worst musician of the whole squad, which is cool. That's always the best play to, way to be in a band is when you're, everybody else around you is more talented. I, I've been playing a lot of chess recently. I've gotten back into chess. That's a hobby I My have. My just started. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, purely because of Queen's Gambit, I'm now playing a chess Oh, album. nice. Yeah. yeah, I've been on chess.com if you want to, you know. Is that the one? I don't know it might be the one. Funny, because Nigel started playing chess, and well, I started like last year again. I uh, started learning guitar, so. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I've I've been playing guitar since I was 13, so I've been playing. I, I got, um I got I had like a carpal tunnel problem in my left hand for a little while, because uh, all I'm doing is like playing guitar, playing video games, and, and <laughs> like this guy that I, I went to this doctor and he was just like oh like yeah people on their fretting hand if they've been playing guitar for more than 20 years um you know can get carpal tunnel and i was like oh i've been playing guitar for 20 years he's like oh when did you start it's like uh i guess when i was like 11 or 12 he's like okay how old are you now i was like uh 32 he's like all right that's 20 years buddy i don't know what to tell you <laughs> my i'm I, me and and nash and shipocrit not paul davy paul davy does not care for fish but we're we're fish heads uh we like if you can see my icon actually here it's a girl with with fish in a bowl swimming around her head um we really like the band fish with ph we're like we're diehard fans that's been like a, a hobby for my life nice yeah, before we wrap let us know or let everyone listening know uh, where can we find you and your game um, Earth Night, like Night and Day, 
uh, one word. It's on Apple Arcade, PlayStation 4 and 5, and Switch, and Steam for Mac and PC. And you can find out about us at cleaversoft.com, like a meat cleaver. And we're we're working on a big update for Earth Night coming out this summer. It'll be the final update. It's going to include two-player local co-op where you can play both Stanley and Sydney simultaneously running on the dragon and some other fun goodies. And we're working on a new game yet unannounced. And if uh, you've enjoyed Earth Night, we hope you'll check out the new game too. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Which is yeah, it's been really good to hear about your your journey and and more about your game. Guys, like, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No, I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, for people listening, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, don't forget you can subscribe to us uh, so you don't miss an episode. We're just getting started with season three, back recording. So there's going to be weekly episodes coming out. Uh, so yeah, give us a, a listen, a follow. Uh, we also make our own story. So you can check out our manga at mymatter.com forward slash manga. We're also working on the next volume, well, comic actually, um, following on from series volume one, series through the fog, which is coming in spring. And as we've been talking about video games, don't forget that the next gamepad event is on April the 10th. So you can get free tickets for that. Check it out. We've got the friendly fire competition and coming with more interviews and panels once we confirm everyone for those interviews and panels those will be uh, announced on social media and on the event page you can come check that out otherwise uh, stick around for more podcast episodes including creator interviews video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture you can also give us a shout directly our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story so until next time stay tuned and stay safe everyone